Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. So before we get into this, before we pray, you know, we've just been thinking, this morning we prayed before the service and a lot what was coming out was this time of refreshing that's needed, this time of rest. And Pastor Chris has sort of focused on this refreshment. So I wanna go through some things today with you. You know, we're just over halfway through the year. We're in the seventh month. Does anyone look at their halfway through the year goals? Does anyone go, have I done what I wanted to do? Am I on track for the end of the year? Does anyone look at that? Is it just me? Is it just me? There's a couple of people waving. Good. So we'll look at things like, you know, am I on track? Are my family doing okay? Are my finances? Am I on track to getting to Christmas and feeling good about this year? Is this year a write-off? We've had write-offs, haven't we? Some people had a whole year that's just... And then there's those years that teach you, you know, those years that you go, I learnt a lot this year. I haven't even put in here, there are good years too. (laughs) How negative is that? You know, but we do have good years. But for those of us that are part of Waken Church family that have been for the last year or two, you know, it's been a big season of change for us. I've got here big and small, we've been through it all. I didn't realise how corny that was when I wrote it. I don't like rhyming, but there you go. We have, we've been through so much change and there's nothing wrong with change, but change can be scary, right? So what I wanna know is if you like change or if you don't, so I'm gonna get you to raise your hands in a minute, whether you're a, I like change, I really don't. And I'm not talking about things like, oh, maybe I'll change my doona cover, you know, like maybe I'll go for the winter one or, you know, my nail art this week, I might go for a brighter colour. These are really girly things. I don't know what men consider with change. What will I eat today? (laughs) I don't know. Um, I won't delve into their minds. That's going to be a whole nother thing. So do you like change? We're talking about the big things in life. Are you someone that embraces it and goes, you know what? Yeah, I'm ready for it. Or are you someone that goes, what are we doing here? Okay, so hands up if you like change. Okay, so we've got a few hands up if you just don't. If you don't. Okay, so from my calculations, we've got more people that don't enjoy change than people that do. And I actually went to study this and looked at a survey and they did it on LinkedIn. Is anyone on LinkedIn? I hate LinkedIn. I do not see the point of it, but they do good surveys. And one of their surveys was on change. And it said this, one in three people would avoid change if they could. So 33% of the room pretty much would avoid change if they could. And two thirds of people say that uncertainty about their future worries them. Okay, so we're not alone. Even as Christians, we're not alone in a sense of uneasiness or being uncomfortable or even worried about change, the change that's happened, the change that could come. And as I said, we've been through a lot in this last year or two, but it's also part of life. Any types of change is going to come. You can't avoid it. But now we're coming over this hill of change. For some of you, it's been a mountain, some it's been a hill. And when I think of a hill and a mountain, I think of a valley afterwards. I don't wanna go into this deep valley. I want us to look at what's coming next rather. So we're on top of that hill, what's next for us. And for me, and I hope this resonates with you, I believe God is calling us into a season of rest. Now, this is a different type of rest and I wanna go through what rest looks like. The spiritual kind, the one where we can keep moving forward, we can keep being an active part of our church, but we can also rest in Him knowing that He's got it. He's got the changes. He's got the uncertainty and He's got the worry. So refreshing comes from rest. 
We know this, don't we? We know that as human beings, we need sleep. If we don't sleep, we don't function very well. And if you choose not to rest, your body will eventually break down. Your mind breaks down. Sometimes even your spirit starts to take a beating if you don't get the rest you're required. This is a physical thing, but it's also a supernatural one. At school, I like to give my students a brain break. Now, this is um, a ploy on my behalf to get more out of them. So what happens is they think they go outside for five minutes at max because I get bored just standing outside. They love it. Stand outside, bit of fresh air, they might get a drink. They come back in and they're ready to go for the next 50 minutes of another subject. They think they've had this amazing break. I've got five minutes to produce 50 minutes of production. So it's a trade-off for me. 50 minutes might be a bit generous with teenagers, but I'm hoping to get 50 minutes of attention because I've given them that short brain break. But what I've noticed is if I let them sit at their desk for a break, I don't get the same sort of result. Physically getting them up and moving and outside makes some sort of shift in their brain and they think they've had this break and they're ready to go. So breaks are really important. Rest is important. That's not even true rest, really, is it? That's nothing in a day. Five minutes of my time and theirs to keep them going. But it works, so I keep doing it. All right, so today I want us to go through the real ways of resting. And I want us to go to the Word for this, because I truly believe the Word gives us what we need, even in today's times. If we look back, it's to help us live today. Should we pray over this Word? Let's go. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that as each person sits here, that they will hear Your Word and they'll receive it and they'll be able to implement it in their life this week, that they will see the points that You have made, Lord, in Your Word for them, that rest is possible, true rest in You, that all of us at Awaken City will be able to truly abide in You and know what that means, that our lives would be a truly representation of Your example, Lord, that we would live as You live. I thank You for this Word today. Any words that come out of my mouth, Lord, I pray they're Yours and I pray that You bless them. Amen and Amen. All right, so I think the concept of rest can mean different things to different people. All right, so some would see it as sleep after a full day's work. And anyone that knows my dad, is dad here? He's over there. Dad is one of the hardest workers I know. So sleep's really important. Dad would work and then he would crash. Once he was out, he was out. That was it. There was no in-between for my dad. It's awake or asleep. It's on or it's off. That's dad's version of rest, I'd say. But then my mum's very different. Her version of rest is to potter around and to craft and to make sure the house is in order. That makes her feel at peace being in her home, surrounded by things that she loves to do. And then I've got my husband who loves just to do nothing. I should say do nothing. He's on the couch. He's with the kids watching a movie. That's his version of rest. He doesn't nap. He doesn't craft. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Bobby knitting. Um, Yeah, never going to happen. But he likes to have his rest time. And sometimes it comes with a side of addiction to um, NBA 2K. Does anyone play? Drives me insane. But it's, you know... It's okay. So these are different forms of rest, aren't they? As humans, we all have them. What puts your soul at rest? What gives your body that break? What gives your mind a break from the busy week? But there's this idea, this is a type of rest. There's an idea of a wonderful state of being that is entirely at rest, at peace with their circumstances, their environment and the people they're with. That seems mystical to me, almost magical, doesn't it? To live in this state of being, of rest. I don't believe in magic by any means or anything mystical, but I do believe in the supernatural ability to be at rest like this. And I think we need to discover this as Christians. We haven't fully grasped hold of what God can do in our lives in this area of rest and refreshment. 
Now, naturally, can I give you a disclaimer? I don't fall into a category of rest. I'm a restless person. Is anyone else a restless person? What could I be doing right now with my hands, with my mind, with my body? If I'm at home, I'm like, if I'm gonna watch TV, I could fold washing. I could do some planning. I could be doing something else while doing that. So restless people like to be moving and they generally don't relax easily. I'm also someone that's quite sensitive to my environment. So Bobby and I are looking at houses at the moment. If I walk in, I want it to look pretty. I want it to smell nice. I want the people to be laughing and having a good time at their home. You know what I mean? Like that environment, I'm very sensitive to it. I can sense a vibe if my neighbours are fighting. That's how, <laughs> that's how sensitive I think I am. Bobby's the opposite. To him, he doesn't pick up on those subtleties. It's not important to him. But what I've noticed about God and His Word is it's consistent and it's unchanging and it doesn't blend with our personalities. It doesn't change because I'm sensitive and He's not. It doesn't change with our circumstances. Oh, we've got new leadership in our church or things are changing. The Word has not changed because of that. God tells us to rest in Him regardless, even when we're anxious, even when you don't get that job or even when our church has drastically changed. So I'm gonna be honest with you that changes are tough. But God is tougher. God's Word is strong and unchanging. So let's go through the two main types of rest in the Word. Some of you don't fight me, but there are more types of rest in the Word, I'm sure. If you wanna go and do study, go for it. But I'm allowed to choose two today and because I've got the mic, I'm gonna go with them. And we're gonna go with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament looks at the Shabbat and the Shabbat is the Hebrew word for the Sabbath. We hear the Sabbath all the time, don't we? Keep the Sabbath. We see it in movies, Jewish people doing these practices that happen on the Sabbath. And then we look at this word in the New Testament called Newark, and I hope I haven't butchered it. But yesterday I went on, does anyone look at pronunciations and click on them? Do you know how many pronunciations of this word there are? And none of them have an Aussie accent, like Newark. <laughs> so I will say it like, you know, how I'm gonna say it, and I won't say it a lot. So Shabbat is the original Hebrew word for the Sabbath. And what it means is, it comes from this word to mean to cease, to end and to rest. So it's fully to stop. But it's a moment or a day in time. You can't live in Sabbath. You can't live in Shabbat. You can't live in this stop, can you? So what the Jewish people practised was in their busy lives, they made sure that day was set aside, that they would completely stop. And even now when they practise this, they do not cook meals. They do not use appliances. Those types of things, everything has to be prepared before. Some of them don't even shower on the Sabbath. So it's a very, very strict type of um, observation of faith. But it's linked to the Old Testament. It's linked back to when God created heavens and the earth, Genesis 1. We go right back to then. That's where the Jews pick this from and that's where the culture starts. So we're gonna go to Genesis 1 today. Now, if you grew up in church or kids' church or Christian schools like me, you'll know that Genesis 1, for some reason, every Sunday school did this and you had to memorise when God created the birds, when the sea creatures, you had to know what days, what was created on. I don't know why we needed to memorise that, but I definitely know that God did this for a purpose, that we need to read through this and really grab hold of His creation and why He did this for us. So you're gonna come with me and we're reading from the New King James today and we were laughing before about Someone wants me to go old King James, maybe next time we'll go these and nows. But this is pretty full on, so you can follow along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. Does anyone know that one? Easy. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
So we see God starts out in creation with nothing, absolutely nothing to work with. And we look at our changes in life and we look at our circumstances and we think God hasn't given me much or I'm starting afresh. But guess what God did give Himself and what He gives us? What is it? The Spirit of God is hovering. Even in the nothingness, even in the blackness, the Spirit of God hovers over what you're doing. What He has given you is not without His Spirit. And God realised that even in His own creation. He was among it, even when there was nothing really to work with. Verse three says, God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness He called night. Evening and morning were His first day. I love this part because it shows the division of light and darkness. And this is really important for us to grab hold of. In our situations that we live through, a lot of the time we see them as dark or light, evil or good. We say people are bad or the devil did this. But rather God's showing us here that light and darkness coexist most of the time. People aren't entirely bad. Situations aren't from the devil. Rather, we have to learn to discern the light from the darkness and we have to be the light in those situations. So can I encourage you, if you're someone that's constantly seeing the darkness and proclaiming the darkness, rather look at the light, separate your light from your darkness and call it for what it is. So God goes on to say in verse six, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters and He divides the waters from the waters and He makes a firmament and He divides the waters which were underneath. So what He does here, He's separating again. He's separating the waters, He's separating the skies. In the New King James, it calls it the heaven. And in a lot of modern translations, it says the sky. And when we look at this, we think, well, that's a simple thing to do. You know, you've got the sky, you've got the waters. But we're looking at it from a human perspective, aren't we? We already know what the sea looks like. We already know what the sky is. But if you look at it from God's creation, He has created the sky to be how many different colours? to represent the weather, to represent everything that's going on. And the water is the same. It's not as simple as what we've seen it as. God makes it quite complex. But He goes on to say in verse 9, He's starting to separate the heavens from the dry land now. He wants there to be somewhere for people to exist. And you've got to remember when you read Genesis 1, if you read it from the perspective of God is making something for us. He's making something for humans to live on. This world was never designed for Him. Okay, it was designed for us. So he starts to think, what do these people need? And he's got this dry land and he calls it good. And you'll notice every verse, everything God creates, he calls it good. He claims over it what it's going to be. He's not gonna go, I could have done better or maybe my creation isn't what I wanted it to be. He calls it good. He proclaims that out. And in verse 10, he calls the dry land earth and he gathers the waters and he calls them the seas. And once again, he sees it's good. He's happy with what he's doing. And then he says, let the earth bring forth the grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth and it was so. Now I'm not gonna read this whole thing, but pretty much what God's doing now, He's preparing. He's giving us trees that have seeds that we can live off, we can eat from. He's giving us fruit. Everything once again is designed for humans and for animals to partake from. He's looking and He's setting up this creation ready for us. There is a lot of thought that's gone into it. He's also saying these things need to reproduce. It doesn't stop with one tree. It doesn't stop with one animal. I want everything to reproduce of its own kind. And then God says in verse 14, let the lights in the heavens to divide from day and night. Once again, He looks at separating light from darkness. And it's really important to note that the sun 
The sun in here is always the biggest light force. Have you noticed that? The light source that's the biggest is the sun. He wants the day to shine bright and the light to have the moon and the stars to light our way. He set it up exactly and there's a plan and a purpose for us. And God saw it was good. This was the morning of the fourth day. Now, I don't know about you, but it's tiring creating things, isn't it? It's tiring always doing and building and God is already on His fourth day. So I I don't think God gets tired, but I do think He probably was like, wow, look at what I'm creating. In verse 20, it goes down to say, He creates the waters with an abundance of living creatures. Now, when I read this, I realise if you know anything about the ocean, it's, it's, it's completely its own ecosystem. It survives by itself, doesn't it? Those animals, those creatures, those plants, they don't need to be on land to survive. They don't need human intervention. God designed them to survive just as they are. So God plans this complex system and He knows ahead of time what exactly it's going to be used for. And I love that about God because it's not a simple thing. And God saw it was good. Again, He claims it. And He blessed them and He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. I don't know about birds. They're not my favourite animal, but um, there's plenty of them around. (laughs) They definitely multiply. And in evening and morning, it was the fifth day. So we're going to move on. God says, Let earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. So now He creates cattle, creeping things. He creates all the animals that are meant to live on the earth. Now at that time, they weren't made for us to eat, but eventually they would be. But the seeds, God says, those seeds can feed your animals. Those grasses that I've created, they are for your livestock. So He's designed it that way. And then He goes on, and this is my favourite part. Verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our own image, according to our own likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. (laughs) When God says, let God, He's creating us in His own image. You realise there's a plural there. It's not Him. God's talking about Him, the Father, Jesus, the Son and God, the Holy Spirit. So we are made in this image of the Trinity. And when you look at the importance of that, it's very easy to skip over and go, God gave us dominion over the earth. Now humans have taken dominion well, haven't they? We really control this earth well. But have we embraced the fact that we were also made in His image, that this triune being is supposed to be living in us. We're supposed to be living like Him, not just having dominion, but the dominion comes because of the God in us. And I find that really interesting that God puts this focus on why He created us and who He created us to be. And He blesses us and He says, be fruitful and multiply. Once again, He says He creates us male and female. And what we need to do is to have family. Now that's a story for another day. But you know what God's planning there? The design for family starts very early on in the Word. The heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished at this point. God says He ends His work, which He has done, and He rests on the seventh day from all the work He's done. Then He blesses the seventh day and He sanctifies it. Now in the New Living Translation, it says He says the day is holy. Now none of the other days were commanded as holy. None of them were sanctified. They were days of work. They were creating. But this day God says it's holy. He sets it aside and He says, I'm going to rest in it. And that's the importance that the Jewish people have put on this day. So they use this day as a commemoration of both God's six days of creation, God's day of rest and their escape from captivity in Egypt. Because you've got to realise they know the freedom that goes from coming out of captivity of slavery and they celebrate this freedom. 
So for us, we look at the Sabbath as a day of rest where we don't do much. We might lie on the couch. But the Jewish people are actually performing services in their home. They're eating together as a family. They're doing things that honour God in this. It's not the same as what we're imagining it to be. And two themes are given. To observe the Sabbath, you must remember and observe. And I love this idea. We remember what God does for us. We know that He rested and we know He saved us from captivity, don't we? We know all of these things. But to observe is not just to do that. It's to notice or perceive something and register it as being significant. So observation isn't the same as looking. I can look at someone being here in a service, but I don't register it. I don't observe how significant that can be. But the Jewish people recognise that this is something we must observe closely and hold it dear to our hearts. It's something worth devoting time to, isn't it? And that's how they recognise it. The Sabbath is worth devoting time to. Rest is worth devoting your time to. So they also remember the last part, the freedom that comes from following God. And that's what the Jewish people want us to understand too. I think sometimes as modern day Christians, we're fast, aren't we? We're busy. But what they're saying is when you slow down and you realise the freedom you've been given, there's power in that too. Now, as Christians, we don't follow this. We don't believe in it anymore and that's okay. We believe we're under this season of grace rather than law, that when Jesus comes along, things change, don't they, in the Word. We see the shift. But in Old Testament times, it was so serious that God imposed death upon those that did not keep the Sabbath properly. So it was a law, it was something they must do. Now people say, oh, Jesus is this rebel. He comes along and He changes everything. And in some ways He does, but most of the time He's just improving on the old. Do you realise that? It's not a complete culture shift and change. I'm gonna change everything. I'm gonna come in here and rip it all out. No, He says, this was good for then, but this is better for now. So let's improve on the old. Let's go better and further than we ever have before. So what He does is He comes in and He says, what are we going to do? And He brings a different type of rest. So for us, I think we're called to this time of rest. I think we're called to a time of observing. But I think the more you remember what God has done for you, the more at rest you become. I think that's the point of remembrance and observing is to remember what He's done and become at rest because of it. Because your eyes become lifted above your circumstance, don't they? If you're looking towards Jesus, if you're remembering what He's done, you're not looking really at all the bad stuff, the stuff that simmers below the surface. And while coming to church is not necessarily the same as keeping the Sabbath, it is part of a devotion for us as Christians, the Sunday service. So I want you to think about now the importance of being here on a Sunday. What is it to you? Why do you do it? Because really the three things I kind of get from a Sunday service is our corporate worship. We worship together. The Word is given and then there's a community that happens before and after. Those three parts. And that's simplifying it, isn't it? There's probably much more you could say. But all of us join with one focus. What is that? What's our focus? I feel like everyone's saying different things and this worries me. (laughs) Did anyone say Jesus? Good, okay, that's the right answer. Um, (laughs) Our focus, if you like, on a Sunday is to give Him back worship, is to hear the Word and then implement it in our life and then to fellowship with other believers. Those three things, if we're doing that on a Sunday, that I think we do well if we do those things. But all of it should be centred around Him. And when church becomes work, its focus comes off Jesus and onto the task. Now hear me out. I've heard Sunday's a work day. I've heard this for many years. Okay. And I've heard that, oh, the work of God, the ministry. 
And I'm not saying it doesn't have work contained in it, but I'm gonna read this so I don't offend anybody. When church becomes work, its focus comes off to Jesus, onto the task. Oh, I have to sing today. I have to be in kids' church. I'm preaching. It becomes hard, doesn't it? If I think I've got to preach, oh great, I've got to get up there, it becomes really hard for me to do it. Don't get me wrong, there's work involved. I didn't get up here just and wing it. I didn't go, oh, well, I'll just give it my best shot. I spent hours and I spent time preparing for this. But with the focus on Jesus and what He will accomplish through me. So if I've got that focus, if I view coming to church and serving at church like this, it becomes a joy. It becomes something I'm willing to both work at and feel at rest in. So preparing a sermon shouldn't be true work. It should be a little bit tricky. I should have to set time aside, but I should have this excitement because I know what God's gonna do through me. He's gonna speak. So if you're worship leading and you go, you know what, this is a bit hard. I had to get up early today. I had to learn a song or this other person cannot sing. <laughs> look, we, look, don't tell me you haven't thought it. But guess what? God requires you to see it as a joy, as an honour and a privilege and something that you can rest in. Kids church, kids are a blessing from the Lord, <laughs> aren't they? they? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I had that on one of my kids' wall. And I used to say that to myself whenever I got annoyed, I'm like, they come from above, you ask for this child. <laughs> Am I right though? Because when you start to be ungrateful for something you've asked for, God quickly reminds you of your prayers. So I'm willing to both work at and feel at rest in Him and what He's called me to do. Resting in the work is an oxymoron, right? Is it? I love the word oxymoron. Sounds like a real, really good insult, but it just means two words, two words that don't really fit. They shouldn't go together. Rest and work should be opposites, but they're not in the kingdom. And supernaturally, God enables us to have rest while we work. And I want us to go forward in this. So that was the Sabbath. That's the idea of stopping on the weekend or stopping on a Sunday, whenever you do. But this next word, this Newark means living a life of abiding in Him. And that's what I want us to focus on today because we've come over a hill of change. Some of us are tired. Some of us are weary of change, of serving or of seeing different things every week. Some of us go, oh, I don't really have that energy to move to the second part of this year. So I want to encourage you that it's possible, but you have to learn how to rest in Him while moving forward. So Sabbat is narrowed down to this word stop. Newark would be defined as abide. And abiding in Him, we don't use it a lot. It's an old school word, but pretty much it means to remain or to stay. And in this case, God requires us to abide in Him. So to stay in Him, to remain in Him. And that may look different for some people. But in the Old Testament, it was required to observe the Sabbath, but it was also a requirement to get them to stop. They, God wanted people to enforce rest and reflection in a restless time. He wanted people really to slow down and remember who He is. And it's the same now. Jesus entered our restless world and He provides this new form of rest. And that's that new archetype of rest. So I want us to read from John. And this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes and that it may bear more fruit. You can already clean it. You're, sorry, you can already clean. Oh, I love cleaning. You are already clean <laughs> because of the Word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
And a couple of things before we move on from this. We see that God's saying, and like in the natural, you see a branch fall from the tree, it's powerless then. It dies, it withers. There's no ability to produce fruit, leaves or anything. It has to be attached to the vine. And Jesus is saying here, I've made you clean, you're saved. But that's not the end of this. What next? I've spoken the Word to you, you know you're clean. Now you need to learn to abide. And if you learn to abide in Jesus, guess what He does? He exchanges, He abides in you too. So the peace you're looking for comes upon you and He truly lives in you and you can have peace. And I love that with Jesus. He doesn't ask you to do things for no reason. There's always this beautiful exchange that goes on. I am the vine, let's move down to verse five. And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them onto the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You know, it's really important to note here that Jesus says He's the vine, not the church, not the pastor, no offence. But we don't go to these institutions, these people for the vine to be fed, to understand who we are, to bear fruit. We must go back to Jesus. So in times of change and uncertainty, it's really important to keep our eyes lifted and to realise that the vine gives us life. Not just life, but it gives us the ability to change our life. So if you want more fruit, if you want to become more like Him, if you want to see situations changing, you graft yourself back onto this vine and you say, Jesus changed me. Love and joy perfected. I love this last part. As the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus sets the perfect example. He's already said, I've done this. I had to do this with my Father. I obeyed His commandments. I died a horrible death because my Father told me to do that. Now, are you going to do the same? Are you going to obey my commandments? Because if you do, the blessings are there you will see the other side of this suffering. And one day true rest comes. And where is our true rest? In heaven. Eternal rest is our goal, isn't it? So I love that. I love that about Him. Abiding in Him is a state of being. You know how I talked about this dream state of being at the start that seemed mystical? Well, guess what it's not? It is a state of being that can be achieved supernaturally in Him. And it can be achieved at home and at work and at church, wherever you are. It is a state of being. Now, I'm sounding really confident in all this <laughs> abiding and, and talk, aren't I? Like as if I've got it down pat. Well, I don't. Um, this is, and do you know why I'm confident and why I know it so well? Because it's something I have to really practice over the years. I've realised that I don't do this well. I haven't learned how to just be at peace and to abide in Him. And I want to get a bit personal here and I'm not going to go too far because it's not about me. But there was a time in my life, and I'm hoping this will trigger something for people, that a lot of time actually, that I suffered with terrible depression and anxiety. And so much so there was no abiding going on. There was no rest. I slept a lot, but it, it wasn't peaceful sleep. It wasn't rest. It was more avoidance. When you sleep, you don't have to face anything, do you? So there was this faith inside of me that Jesus was real. I always had that. I didn't lose it, but I just didn't think peace was possible. I didn't see it in my life. I didn't see how it could be possible after years of just of suffering, to be honest. So because of all that, I just stopped. I literally stopped anything that I didn't have to do. If I didn't have to go anywhere, if I didn't have to do anything, then I didn't because it was all too much. It had become one thing piled upon another and I became weak 
in my ability to cope with life. So everything just stopped for me. So abiding didn't happen. Faith was there, but it was weak probably at the time. But one Scripture, and I think this is the most important Scripture that has encouraged me to learn how to abide, and it's this one. But at the time, I didn't understand it. Isaiah 26.3, You will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Now this Scripture spoke to me and I changed it a little bit and I don't believe in changing the Scripture before anyone's like, oh, heretic. Um, I'm not changing context. I'm changing just language. So hopefully God's, okay. You will keep me in perfect peace when my mind is stayed upon you because I trust in you. So I say this to myself and I've said it to myself for years. And what it means is if you stay your mind upon Christ, it means you're focused on Him. And when you're focused on Him, you have peace. When you focus on other things, you can't have peace. Let's be honest, because life becomes um, restless, doesn't it? And stressful. So I had to learn the power of keeping my mind stayed or focused on Him. And it's not easy. We get distracted. There's a lot going on in our life, isn't there? That could pull us away from keeping this focus. And it's the same as abiding in Him, focusing on Him, abiding in Him. They're all the same things. It means changing your perspective. It means looking at a situation in a different way. What's God going to do in this situation? And I've got here, it means that although I'm anxious, I focus on Him because He's not. It means that when I feel like I've got no purpose, I focus on Him because He always has a purpose. And it means that when I feel uneasy about change, I focus on the one who never changes. So I want you to understand that whatever you need, God is willing and able to do it. But we really have to do something first and that is to change our focus. So can I encourage you if you're part of our church to keep on coming, don't give up, to keep moving forward. And when you're tired to go, God, can you help me to abide in You? Help me to see Your purpose through this chaos. Help me to understand Your will because sometimes we don't. So as the team joins me, I want to talk to those of you that have had that season of unrest, that uneasiness and go, oh, I don't know where I'm headed. I can't see what God's doing. I don't like all of this change. I wanna talk to you and remind you that God sees that, but He has a plan in place. And it doesn't always go to our plan, does it? God's purposes, His plans are not always ours. They're always above ours though. And that's what we've got to remember, that we think we know what should happen. We think we know how church should run don't we, on a Sunday? And if something's slightly off, you kind of go, oh, you know, I didn't really like that or that shouldn't have been like that. And we can sit back and with our human eyes go, this is what it should be like. But God is calling us to something higher. He's calling us to see above that and to understand that this season of change can be a blessing. It can be a blessing for all of us. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.